it's so backwards to think about, man, but like we try so hard to figure things out and truly, truly the answer is to stop trying to figure things out. When you release this like weird urge to have expectation and results, it's kind of amazing how the world just sort of like puts things into place for you. What's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Krzyzewski, and welcome to episode 121 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I am super excited to be joined by my good friend, Heath Armstrong, the co-founder and creator of Rage Create and Seller Spaceship. During this interview, Heath and I got to catch up on what he's been up to since the last time he was on the podcast, way back on episode four. We talked about his visit to Bulgaria, why he decided to move into a van during the COVID pandemic, and how after a close brush with bankruptcy, he launched his current business, which provides Amazon sellers with new profitable products for resale arbitrage on a regular basis. Heath and I also talked about the second version of the Rage Create Sweet Ass Affirmation Deck, which is currently live on Kickstarter. This was a super fun conversation. It's always a blast to talk with Heath, and this was no different. But before we jump into the interview, I would love to hear what you think about this podcast. I've made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. If you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways to support us. Reviews are a key statistic that podcasting apps look at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So thank you in advance for leaving a review if you choose to do so. And without further ado, guys, let's jump into this fun conversation with Heath Armstrong. All right, Heath, welcome back to the show, man. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man, really. Thanks yeah. for having me. It's good to be of back. course, man. Good to see you. I know it's been... I, th- <laughs> I think you were on episode three or something like that. So it's been it like... Early. Yeah, it was been like 100 plus episodes since you've been on. Well, you're way more consistent with your podcast than I ever have been. So congratulations well, on that. It's crazy. I think you started well, I think it's because you do my show and I'm at like 50 or something. Well, I think it's because you're doing just so many things that, you know, some things can't be consistent, but you know, we'll definitely talk about that. But first of all, we got to talk about this, that I was in Puerto Vallarta and then we left and then now you're in Puerto Vallarta and we just realized it. So yeah. I know that we were talking a little bit before we hit record. Uh, by the way, I have to apologize to the listeners, first of all, if it's a little more echoey because I'm at a co-working space. I'm still trying to figure out the recording, where I'm going to do everything, but sorry, people, you might have to put up, up for a little bit of time with some echoing and not the perfect kind of sound. But you know, that that's what happens when you, you know, hit the road again after you haven't been on the road for a while is like, I was just saying is like, there's this like, you know, 
like some stuff back here and it's just you know it's 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 the fun of travel again but what brought you to what are you saying classic looking meth lab back there behind you yeah you know back in bulgaria it feels good but um what why did you decide to come down to puerto vallarta uh i was man i've been working on so many different projects and honestly i don't know as somebody who's got the travel bug (laughs) like it doesn't ever really go away and i hadn't been out of the 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 united states since i got back from africa at the end of 2019 and uh i was just fiending man like i felt a lot of like suffocation and and limboness had been living in the van for a couple months now because i spent all winter building it out and i just felt like this i'm working on this kickstarter project that's going to launch and I needed some sort of beautiful inspiration across me before my head would explode. So the quickest route to, I guess, the path of least resistance to to that, I feel like if you're in the United States is always just to go to Mexico. And I hadn't been here yet, but maybe something, you know, in the astral plane influenced me when you were there. And it was just like this silent fairy that came over to me and went in my head and made me head here as well. You know, I always like to follow you around. So that's how it got not, wait can i call myself an influencer now did i you're influence an influence. you and <laughs> go to mexico <laughs> yeah for sure i mean every time you're doing anything and going anywhere it feels like it always pushes me to go explore more and i it's really easy for us to get stuck and be afraid to book something or just to go but the more you do it the more you realize how good it is for your health for creativity for like ideas and just like exploring different cultures that are so different from us. And when I watch you and Sarah do it or anybody who's working remotely, I think it's why people are, you know, can really get a good audience going if they are doing remote travel. It's because we all want to be exploring. We're built to explore. You know, we all want to be diving deep into our creativity. And so, yeah, you influence me. You always do. I hope that we can influence other people as well, you know? For sure. What, okay, so last time we were together, actually, I think was when we were both in Bulgaria for the life nomading trip, right? So, I mean, we haven't seen each other in person since then. So let's talk a little bit about that to give people a little bit of like a background. Uh, what was the trip and what, like, what made you say, you know what, uh, I'm going to go to Bulgaria? Dude, that was me sitting in this dungeon of a basement in Portland, like depressed, because I booked this place when I was, I don't know, I booked this apartment online without looking at it, thinking it was in one part of Portland and it wasn't because I was somewhere out of the country or something. <laughs> and I remember walking around this, they had like no windows and I was like just trying to figure out a, a method of not losing my mind. And I, I w- it was late night, I think, and I saw a post. It was like, we have one more spot for our trip to Bulgaria or something. And I was like, oh, it's Miko. And then I just clicked on it and was like, oh, this is like, I always follow my intuition. And it's just like, well, this makes total sense. Like one more spot, me, of course, I'm going to book this. And so I just sent you a message immediately or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's how he got out there. But it was a really, it was really awesome, man. Because I'd never been to, to Eastern Europe and not really much of Europe other than Spain and, and France and um some areas for not very long periods of time. And I was excited, but I really did not know how much I would love it when I got there. Like I knew how amazing your bulge was and how attractive that bulge is when it's pulsing and, you know, it's like a eighties porn flick that a teenage boy can't get rid of. But uh, you know, to go to the land of all the bulges, well, that was a real treat. 
So, uh, no, I mean, I'm going to have like, to do like a, I'm going to have to do like a pre episode, like, Hey, listen, guys, <laughs> this is going to get yeah. a little weird <laughs> yeah, surprise, but no, in, in all seriousness, uh, the culture out there is, is incredible. I mean, you come from an amazing place in the landscape and like the black sea and, and some of those like ruins that I went like the monk, like that cave, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like a three story cave that the monks had been living in and also like the, you know, Christian crusaders and like just the history around that area was so much deeper in knowing than we get in the United States. Um, getting away from like native American cultures and things. It was just like, you walk into a Starbucks, which is like last resort for me usually, but like the floor is glass and you see the the Roman ruins underneath the floor. It's like, it's cool that they don't just destroy the stuff and build on top of it. They actually preserve a lot of it. And so you're sort of living within it and really good creative vibe, really good food actually. And in the beaches, like all the dudes just wearing thongs was amazing. So. Just like big Bulgarian guys, like oiled up with gold chains. <laughs> you can't beat that, man. Yeah, man. It was it was so much fun to have you there. And we should say, you know, thanks for Ian and Caroline for uh, setting it up. I know they've been on the podcast a bunch of times. But yeah, it was a ton of fun to have all of you guys out there and, and you know, have some good food. And you took the train to Varna, which was actually really fun because I was like, hey, man, like, you know, it's a really interesting journey, but you know, no AC and that kind of stuff. So dude, so, uh, we were going from Sofia to Varna, right? So almost across the country and it's like quite literally across the country. It was, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I didn't remember. I didn't think about that. That was an experience that was like, cause I was with Kane and he was like, all he's always like <laughs> shitting his pants or something. He always <laughs> got like Bali, butt, like Bali, butt universal. And uh, we were in a, we even did like the, I think we did the VIP tickets so that we weren't in the, but like still it was just an incinerator yeah, yeah. of heat. And there were a couple people in this little cabin with us and we tried to stand up and put our heads out the window the whole time, but it was like, <laughs> it, we, it was pretty brutal, but also epic. Like the, the, the scenery, it almost reminded me, and I grew up in Tennessee and it looked, you know, it really looked very similar. It's crazy when you travel around the world, you can identify landscapes pretty much like in the United States area. We have so many different types of landscapes that almost everywhere I go, I'm like, this kind of looks like this place or this. But it reminded me a lot of where I grew up in Tennessee and uh, until you get to the Black Sea and then it's just like, oh, this is epic. This is epic. But I would I think I would love to go back and do some of the climbing on the mountains and stuff out there. And um, another weird thing is when I was out there, I met this girl, Vanetta. I've been talking to her on the Internet she was from Bulgaria, but I didn't know that. And then I got out there and then she had just been in Bulgaria and I was like, wait, what are you in Bulgaria for? And then, you know, she was from the area. And then I ended up meeting up with her in uh, California, like right when we got back and she had been doing some hiking out there too. So that was a cool, that was a cool connection as well. You never know, man, the world's really small when you start traveling and getting around like where people are at. Yeah. You know, like you doing it, it's almost like, I always say is this like idea of like passing the filters you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, you know, when you become remote, all of a sudden, like you pass through a filter and, and the world gets smaller in some way, right? Like we have, like, it's always funny, like when I meet somebody who does what we do and then we start talking, I'm like, oh, we have like 10 mutual friends. Well, cause it's like the world got smaller, right? So yeah, I totally agree. But let's talk a little bit about, take a 90 degree angle, 90 degree turn here. Cause uh, 
I am really curious to hear about your van life adventures because I got to see some sneak peeks on Instagram and the van has been looking amazing. Um, what made you want to do that sort of remote thing? Like why get the van? Like what inspired all that? So I was, in, I was based in Portland the last five years and, and I went through a, a hard breakup in a relationship a couple of years ago. And of course that led me into very strange paths of ayahuasca and jungles and like combo ceremonies and Shasta and like really getting in deep with my, my spiritual teachers and animal spirits or whatever. And one of my, like, my intuition is kind of synced up with my dog a lot. Her name is Sachi. And, and whenever she starts acting weird and like not wanting to be in a particular place, I generally take it as a time that I need to leave. And I just felt like I was getting sort of into a routine. Like when I get back to Portland, I'd be like, this feels like home. And that's great in some ways, but it also, if you start to feel that way, it's like, you really should be wandering at that point to go somewhere else because it's very easy to get sucked into that and stay there forever or to stay there a little bit more and more and more. And then you like pop a kid out and then you stay there even longer. And like, I'll just wait for this. It feels comfortable here. But like, you know, comfort is the enemy of, of exploration and, and joy in a lot of ways. And leaning into discomfort can really take you to places that you never thought were possible. And so she started not wanting to walk. Like she wouldn't leave my apartment. She was like scared to go anywhere, which is not like her at all. And then all the wildfires came raging last year mm. really hard. Plus, you know, it, Portland's a super left town where they shut down really, really hard because uh, of 2020. And I just didn't, I was like, well, sitting here is not going to get me anywhere. I want to be remote more if I'm going to be in this country. So I had been thinking about getting a van on my vision board for like four or five years and been using affirmations for it a lot. Uh, and it just hadn't really manifested and I hadn't really taken the action to make it happen, but it became very clear that it became a, like a, the center of my focus. And if it's the center of your focus and you're thinking about it in an affirmation standpoint, and then you're actually taking action to bring it to life. I was like, I think I'm kind of ready for this. So I started uh, looking on Facebook marketplace and things. And it was like, holy shit, this fan market is like crazy high right now. And I couldn't, like, I didn't want to go pay $70,000 or something, yeah. <laughs> you know, van somewhere. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to build one out. And I kind of wanted to do that anyways, because it's like more gratitude when you're in it, you know? And I feel like that's like half the fun too. If for me, yeah, at least really like when I think about doing it, like, you know, I know there's like options to buy ones that are like built out, but like, I wouldn't want to do that. Like, I almost like, I, I, I actually have the fear that I'm going to build one out and then be like, all right, like, this is great, but like, I kind of want to build out like another one. Do you know what I mean? Another one, dude, it's happening already. Yeah. What I found <laughs> was like, so I left Oregon and I, I found this insane deal on Facebook marketplace in Tennessee, near where I was from. I just was like, I'm going to look at small towns in the Southeast because there's no rust. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of small towns with, with companies that own like everything in those towns. And they just have no idea what things are worth. They just put them up. And I, I found one of those opportunities. I found a 2016, Mercedes Sprinter with 90,000 miles on it, you know, diesel for 22 grand. And like the Kelly blue book was way higher. Yeah, it was a yeah. cargo. I was just like, I'm going, I'm going straight there. I'm going to fly there tomorrow. And like, and I thought, of course the dude wouldn't respond or he probably got hammered, but for some reason he, he did. I sent him a bunch of weird messages on Facebook and I, I guess they stood out like send weird things and you'll stand out. And 
yeah, when I got down there, he's like, yeah, man, I had like hundreds of people messaging me that day, but I don't know. It just felt like it was supposed to be yours. <laughs> I was like, cool, <laughs> man, let's go get lit. And uh, anyway, I ended up buying it. But what I found in the process was like, I had to navigate a lot of really hard things, like going back to my dad's farm and like being around my parents. I hadn't lived at home since I was 17. Like I'm 35 and I'm like living in my dad's RV outside of his house on his property. And every day I'm just getting up and like not doing my work and procrastinating. But instead I just found myself like going out and building on the van and using my hands. Like we, we do a lot of digital stuff. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's great. But I found this like love that I forgot of like, doing hands-on work like it was cool man I didn't know how to do any of it I didn't know anything about building out a van but I just did baby steps and unchunked it and just did one step at a time and like it just came to life really quickly and I learned so much and now I'm like you're like you're saying now I'm like I'm already thinking about things I would do differently (laughs) like uh, and like I could do it again you know it just seems I have a really good ability to only remember the good things that happened in my past so maybe that's playing into it but I really enjoyed it and it's very gratifying being in it now. How long did it like take to build everything out and like get it set up and stuff? I started in the beginning of October and I finished at the end of February and I wasn't working on it every day, but I generally, it was really hard to start because you don't like getting the electrical stuff figured out is really the hardest. And like, it's just, doing insulation and stuff like that isn't that fun, but it's all kind of fun in a way because you see it progressing. But once you get past insulation, electricity, and you actually start putting up like the ceiling and walls and things, it's 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 like, whoa, this is epic and you don't want to stop. And um, yeah, maybe like four, four months or something, but people can do it a lot faster. You can do it in like weeks if mm-hmm. you're doing it every day, all day. So, well, because I mean, I think the idea is great, but one of the things that I worry about and that sometimes I've heard is that like the actuality of living and working from a van is not as rosy as you might think it is. So what was that like, you know, like moving into the van, living out of it, working out of it and like actually trying to like work remotely while you're in this thing that's moving and you need to have like, you need to find Wi-Fi spots and stuff like that. So what was that like? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a Jekyll Hyde situation where there's really high highs and super low frustrating lows, especially if you like have urgent things that you need to do on the internet. And uh, there's a big difference between like wandering and switching places every day in your van or like finding a place that works and staying there for a month. What I've done so far is the former, <laughs> which has made it like way more chaotic is like, I'm only in a place for a couple of days and then I'm going somewhere else. And, um, it can be really hard. I actually focused a lot on the, the size of my table and the comfortability of it. Like my bed and my table, cause I'm sleeping, I need to get good sleep. And I want my table to be like really big and spacious to where two people could work from it with a roost stand. And like, so I spent a lot of time on that, which makes it way easier than most vans I've seen um, that have like really small tables. I'm like, I can't get shit done if I don't have enough room to put like a notebook right. in it. So I had this really sweet swivel table that I built in that helps, but also like you spend all this time doing insulation and things thinking it's actually really going to help contribute to like keeping the van cooler hot and it doesn't do shit. And when you figure out like when there's a certain heat level or cold level, like you're going to freeze or sweat 
like crazy. It can get really hard to do work inside of a van, even if you have two fans installed that are going full blast. And so then what I've learned is like, I think the best thing you can do is follow seasons. And when it's summer, you know, get the hell out of the Southeast and go, like, I just went up to Maine for a while and that was amazing and cooler. And I was able to do a lot of really good work up there. Um, but even if you're in a place with weather, then it's like, okay, do I have internet connection? And I was trying different options. Of course, I've got Starlink pre-ordered, but uh, it's not really out and rolling around yet. So I was on visible and that was just a complete disaster because I thought it was going to be great because I know a lot of nomads who have recommended and used it. But like I went through like 17 states and had like service and maybe, <laughs> I don't know, three of them ever. Uh -huh. And so I was using my girlfriend's hotspot the whole time. And then I didn't particularly build a bathroom into my, you know, I have a bucket with a seat. Um, it hasn't been a problem for me at all yet, but I can see how it could be a problem if you get like Bali butter, explosive diarrhea, like cane, and, and you've got to like get somewhere quick. Um, but it's been kind of tough, man. It's, it's a, like to be in the same little space to sleep, to try to be productive, to try to get your exercise. Of course you can go outside. Uh, I also have a dog. And so like being mindful of like, can she run around freely or does she have to be tied to the van? Is, is it too hot? Does she have to crawl under the van? Um, there's a lot of things that you don't think of. And it does come down to like a very simple, minimal life of like, how much water am I pumping into my bottle right now? Cause I'm going to have to fill this back up. You know, is my yeah. gray water full? Can I get internet to do any side of any type of work regardless? And it's very inspiring when you can. And it's, and it's amazing. And, there's also PTSD with like leaving your van somewhere. <laughs> like, cause I've had my shit broken into so many times in Portland. Cause that place is just like mania sometimes with people breaking into cars. Um, you know, can you leave your van with your whole life in it comfortably and not have anxiety when you're like out working somewhere. And, um, but ultimately I, I, I think it's epic. I think like those types of problems and working through them can make you so much more, strong when you're somewhere in a weird situation, like you get to Puerto Vallarta and you lose your wallet on the plane or whatever I just did the past couple of days, you start to stay calm and be like, Oh, I can get through this. You know, I've, I've done it the hard way. You know, what that makes me think of is like, I think one of the appeals of the whole digital nomad life is that you can almost streamline everything in your life to the point where all you have to worry about is doing the work that you want to be doing and like doing the fun things that you want to be doing. Right. So it's like, like, I don't know, Sarah and I had a similar, well, not a similar experience, but kind of like, you know, we got to do the regular thing in 2020. Like we went out, we got an apartment, yeah. we furnished the apartment, we did the Ikea thing, which was actually kind of fun in a way. I remember you know, when like, you were doing that. Yeah. And it, you know, it honestly was kind of fun. Like we kind of got to scratch that itch of the thing that we haven't done that everyone else has done. And it was really nice to see friends and kind of like spend more time in Cincinnati and stuff like that. But one of the things that ends up happening is that now all of a sudden there's these things around you that you need to take care of. You know what I mean? Like there's like an apartment and like you need to water plants. You need to do like dishes and clean the apartment. And there's like this other stuff around you that you kind of don't really have to worry about when you're nomading, right? Like when we were in Mexico, we had a cleaner that was coming in and like a lot of the things were taken care of of for us. And that's kind of the benefit. And to me, it almost sounds like the idea with the van is to do the digital nomad thing and to downsize, but you actually add on a whole bunch of stuff that you need to think about. Like Ian and Caroline didn't do the van life thing, but they did, you know, they had an RV. And I just remember it was just this entire thing that like you were saying, you had to think about like, 
how much water do I have left? And like, you know, how much is, what's my gray water? Like, do I have to empty my tank? Like what's the yeah. electricity? And it's like Power, adds on the yeah. whole, exactly. So I think if you're, I don't know, like I've talked about this with Sarah before too. And it's like, I, I don't know if I want to, like, I think the van life thing sounds attractive, but like, I think I would do it for two weeks. Then I'd be like, all right, I think I'm kind of over it. And if I wanted to <laughs> do it long-term, it would be in like seasons, you know? Yeah. I, I think there's a, there's a whole array of different type of van life people. There's the ones that live in a van full time and will always, you know, never get out. And yeah, that's cool. There's me who I'm really doing it to navigate exploration. And I'm, I'm huge on wilderness and like just getting mm -hmm. lost in the woods and climbing mountains and stuff. And that's where I get my inspiration. And I like, I like the challenge of this for sure. It's hard to figure out power. It's hard to figure out. It's, it's really not hard. It's just kind of an, an annoyance sometimes, but when it's going good, it's going great. And I'm sort of using it to navigate until I find, you know, I'm looking for land and I, I like, I want to explore different parts of the country. And then eventually would like to have a plot of land where I can set up like a, you know, sacred geometrical wood burning sauna and hot and cold plunge tanks and like grow my own food and have sort of a rocket ship command center where other nomads can come in and work from if they want to. And then also just be able to get my van when I want and also be able to just travel out of the country and do whatever I want there. So this is the step that leads me to that. Uh, I don't think I would necessarily ever want to like live in a van full time because it is harder in a lot of ways and you are less productive in a lot of ways, honestly. If your productivity is just focused on like getting writing done or doing something that's offline, I think you could be really productive in a van. But when you have to be on an internet connection, you know, you better be okay with sometimes being rigged up at like some, you know, RV park with a bunch of reds around you for a week, because that's sometimes what it's like. And you, you got to like share those little porta potties with these monsters who are, you know, exploding horrific things out of the back end. And, <laughs> Um, you got to be able to handle that. And, and it's just like, I don't know, there's a lot of fun. It's always been a dream of mine, but I have a lot of different dreams and I see myself transitioning to, to land at some point soon. And, you know, who knows, I might do the PCT and I might actually, I, I will at some point, but I want to do some cycling across the country and things like that as well. So see where it leads me. Everybody might be listening right now and they're like, okay, what, hold on. Like, so he's going to Bulgaria. He just like off, like, you know, one night he was like wandering the internet, saw a post and then going to Bulgaria. Then he's buying a, you know, a van. He's going to Africa. He's doing all this stuff. People might be wondering, how are you actually like doing all of this? So, you know, you need finances to pull all of this together. So can you kind of give, and not just people listening myself as well. Cause it's always interesting, you know, when you get on the phone uh, or an interview with like nomadic friends, it's always interesting, like how businesses advance and what other projects they're working on. So like, can you give us kind of like a full view of what do you do for a living? Like, how do you actually make this nomadic life possible for yourself? Yeah. I, I get giddy about this. Cause you know, I worked, I worked in a concrete construction industry for 10 years post-college. And I mean, legit like $13 an hour in a factory making receptacles that carry human feces underground. I got five vacation days a year. And I remember like taking those days to like recover from hangovers or whatever it was. <laughs> so now like when I get a chance to go somewhere, I don't, I don't mess around because it's like, it means a lot to me to like look at my transformation and be able to lean into it and um, like be in deep gratitude for the privilege that I do have to be able to do it. But 
working to get there is a, not the easiest thing. Um, I have a lot of different businesses that are in place, but it didn't really start that way. Like I started by going to Walmarts and reselling like Lego blankets online on eBay and Amazon. And that grew into like figuring out ways to automate selling things on Amazon. And that grew into me leaving my job and um, being able to, I sold everything I had, left my job, went across the country, which grew into me getting sort of into teaching people how to like optimize habits and self-help through these journaling systems that I make, whether it be via happiness or uh, working with other people on different projects. And that flowed into making affirmation decks. And that flowed into uh, me looking at e-commerce in a different way and what I really wanted to be in and, and pulling myself. Like I, I fucked my whole resale business up because I just fell out of passion with it. And Amazon is just a whole nother thing that it's, it's totally viable. And people like millions of people make lots of money and sustain themselves by selling on Amazon. But it wasn't in alignment with who I was. I didn't like the fact that I was contributing to like thousands of packages flying around the world all the time with trash and plastics. And um, it was really making me sick personally. And I had to like take a step back and, and really ultimately stare at bankruptcy papers and, and think like, am I really going to continue with this? Or should I sign bankruptcy papers and just like go back and get a job? Like, I don't know. And um, that led to a lot of hard lessons and going through plant medicine ceremonies and like figuring out more deeply what I cared about. And then uh, coming up with better ideas on how to optimize this stuff digitally. Like if you're going to be nomadic, like there's nothing greater than doing stuff that has very low overhead digitally on the internet. And so mm -hmm. I figured out a way to transition that whole resale business into information uh, products that are based around teaching sellers how to find the correct things that they want to buy and resell. And that's been very fruitful for me. And it's been really amazing to watch that grow from me and uh, one dude and a, an assistant to 30 employees now. And uh, like knowing that all of them work from their own computer, wherever they are remotely on their own time, it makes my heart very warm. Um, you know, I've had a lot of like reflection and looking at where I've come from the beginning of that point. But ultimately, like, I don't know, man, I'm working on so many different projects. I love the podcast. I love to create new things. I, I don't know where the future is leading me, but it's like, as long as you have ideas and you start to lean into them and make sure that you're very passionate about them and you're taking action to move towards them, I think you can really bring anything into existence. And then as far as making it work when I'm traveling and creating passive income, which has been one of the most important things for me, it's systems. Like you got to get good at delegating. I could still be sitting in a chair trying to do all the things that I did when I first started doing resale and I would never be where I'm at, but seeing those things that you are capable of doing, but also like getting over the ego that you're the only one that's capable of doing and then giving somebody else an opportunity to come in and help you do it. And generally a lot of times they do it better than you. And then seeing how like the cash can flow in, you know, times two from that point and then sharing it with the person helping you and then doing it again and duplicating it and, building the systems and plugging in the pieces like that's, that's the kind of stuff that will create real income and, and passive uh, abilities to travel and like not worry about where you're going and what you're doing, but to just be fully like present with it. And uh, that's, that's kind of like an overview of if that answered your question of what I've been navigating. Yeah. So let's dive in a little bit more into the, the, the new business, right? Cause you kind of glossed over it and you said, you know, I started selling information to people who wanted to be sellers 
And it went from being me and an assistant to 30 employees. And there's, yeah. you know, there's a lot in between that. So how did you first even come up with the, cause I remember when you were telling me that you were doing this, cause I actually like, I think you, you were in Bulgaria already when you were working on that. Um, how did you I end just up started? Yeah, you had just started, but I think you started up mark. pretty quick. Yeah, it was a but it had a pretty mark. quick growth, growth spurt, didn't it? Like you kind of went from like zero to like it doing pretty well quickly. Why was that? Yeah, well, we in Bulgaria, you know, with the Amazon resale, that went really quick. That was crazy. I went from zero to $60 to $160 a month to two or 3000 to $100,000 a month within 12 months of starting that. And like, that's not me making $100,000 a month. There's a lot of fucking overhead with reselling right. products, but it was a, a lot of cash flow and you can do things with cash flow, but that whole thing broke down. And when I tried to retransition it and like, cause it created a lot of debt and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I took a lot of risk on credit cards to make that thing run. And then I'm sitting there looking at $120,000 credit card debt. Like, holy shit. Like, am I fucked that I fuck myself for the rest of my life here? Like what's going on? Um, I, I was like, okay, what were we really good at? Why was I able to sell so much stuff on the internet? Like what was it that was allowing us to do it? And it was like, oh, it was this whole team of people that were sourcing products that we created. And I was like, well, there's all these other sellers why you know there's all these people that are selling things they need things to sell as well if i don't want to sell them like can't we give them the information of the products that we've been able to find and resell because the information was good it was just i wasn't good at selling it or keeping track because i didn't care enough you know and so my idea when i got to bulgaria was like that was when i first started because we had that weird stripe issue like fucking i hate that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do too negative but like stripe i <laughs> I hope nobody ever uses them because they will fuck you. I've had them do it in multiple businesses for no reason. They don't care about the customers. Anyway, um, <clears throat> we had just launched the first like beta list. And essentially what I did was I took, we have all these tools where we can just scrape full websites on the internet and it'll pull all of the metrical information for products like what the price is based on the website you're looking at versus what the price is on a site like Amazon or Walmart or other places where you can sell products. And it'll spit out like what the profit potential is based on the resale and like what's your cost is. You can plug all these numbers in and get all these metrics based on how much money you might be able to make by buying a product in one place and selling it in another. It's basically called online arbitrage in a way. But we were really good at compiling this information because we were analyzing it to buy and resell ourselves. So we just started organizing it into spreadsheets where we were like, okay, we can, we can put 10 items a day onto a spreadsheet plus some like iffy items, which are called like basically the others five extra products that like may be good, but like maybe not depending on the person, but like 10 guaranteed great flips and 10 that are just okay. And then just offer it out to the Amazon world or, or other seller worlds of people who are looking for things to buy and resell. And I didn't know if it would work in particular, but I went and was like, okay, I can either one at a time try to find people who are interested in buying this, or I can try to find somebody with a big Amazon, you know, list and get them to promote it and give them a commission and see if we can get like, see if people are actually interested. So I found this one guy and I always recommend sending videos directly to people you're trying to contact and work with. Just take a second to record a Loom video or a Facebook video and just be yourself and be honest with what you're doing. And don't try to like, you know, construct a massive email that tricks people into doing things. I, I've always had a lot of success with that. So I sent him a video and was just like, Hey dude, I introduced who I was, um, told him what I was doing. 
And I was like, I think your audience would be interested in this. Would you like to promote it for commission? And he was like, yeah, we'll give it a try. And he sends an email blast. And like, right before I was coming to Bulgaria, I remember walking on the beach in Oregon with my dog and she was swimming and I had it set up through Stripe and we were offering it out for like $75 a month. And we have a limited number of spots. It was 44 people because the information is sort of sensitive. You don't want to give it to too many people or it becomes saturated. And so the way that we model it is we have different lists and they all have a cap on them. But this was the first list. And he sent an email out, dude. And my phone was just like, did it ding, did it ding, did it ding. And all these people started <laughs> signing up. And I was like, holy shit, this could work. And so then we went from the beta price up into the regular price, which is actually $185 a month. And so 185 times 44 is a decent amount of money. And we had a lot more power to, to find more information than that though. So like we ran that first list for a while to get feedback and all these people were like, this is the best, you know, there, there are some other people who do similar things with lists. Like, this is the best information we've gotten. Like they're staying on our price is higher than some of the competitor type businesses, but it's because our leads are better and people our retention rates insane. Like our churn rates only like 8% or something. And it's normally Great. about 30 or 40% on a monthly subscription for something like this. So uh, I looked at that, came to Bulgaria, of course, immediately when I get there, Stripe sends a message saying that they're pulling us and we have to find a new payment processor. And that was a whole thing. But when the resistance- Why did they say they pulled you? Royal, they actually don't give you an excuse. They just bullshit you. Um, the dude, I did get through to a guy when I was there. He, he was just like, I, I guess he, some innocent dude working for Stripe doing what he was told, but I got to him. <laughs> he was like, dude, I'm so sorry, man. I don't know. Like- they just told me I have to pull the account. And I'm like, we're, he was telling us that we were like offering gambling or like it was a high risk business or some shit, which was not true. And um, like they were pushing us in with gambling and porn sites and stuff because there are a lot of fishy Amazon resale information people. How much, you know, wait, I, I think we could figure this out. How many times you mentioned bulge on your uh, <laughs> sales page? <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> a lot. There's a lot of pictures of you on there. But uh, yeah, man, like, I don't know, this kid was nice and he actually reinstated when we were there. But then like a week later, I get back and they completely pulled the rug under us when we were in the middle of a launch. So then you're like, shit, how do I find a new processor? And like, sometimes, you know, the resistance gremlins come and they try to destroy you and you can either use that and fold into yourself and start drinking booze and freak out, or you can, you know, use it as inspiration to move towards the things that you want to accomplish. And I, I decided to not be react reactive in that moment. And we stayed calm. We, we set up um, a new payment system, ended up going with a cool company called Chargebee, which has been great. They're not that well known, but they're awesome. And they work with you really well and their fees are low. And we connected them with PayPal Pro and we were able to just, I went to focusing on, okay, we have this certain number of people that can produce this amount of leads. How do you duplicate it? That's how you scale, right? So we brought in this girl who was the best at finding the information and we had her start training other people to do it. And so now she's in charge of hiring and really all we've done, it's very simple. We launch a list, we hire three or four more people. Once the list is successful, we train them. They find more leads than we had before. We launch another list and we just keep doing it. So we're up to five lists now with 44 people each at $185 uh, per month. And like, and are you adding, so for each one of those lists, right? You have a list and you're, you're, cause you said it's $185 per month. So you're constantly adding new products to those lists. Every day they get a spreadsheet with new information. 
So each list has a new spreadsheet every day. And so okay. every day you get 15 new products. And like, that's the information that we're pulling together. So if you're, if you're a customer of a list, five days a week, you get an email with new information in it. But each list is different information. Yeah, that makes gotcha. Sense. Yeah, no, totally. So how are you managing all of these people, right? Because like, the, I, I totally agree with you is that like, you need to get to the sustainability point. So what have been like the key things that you guys have done in order to make this sort of like run smoothly? Putting your trust into your best employees to be managers for you. I think finding the strengths of all your employees or virtual assistants and saying like, what do you like doing? And do you want to do more of it? And then letting them run with it. And we luckily had one who was just incredibly good at data analysis. And we figured that out and we allowed her to help us create like a, basically a, a training document of like what we're looking for when we analyze leads. And then we were like, okay, how do we find the right people to hire? And so she created this sort of test that we pay people that we interview. Like we actually give them a test on to see how competent they are with the tools and the directions that we're giving them based on what she put together. And we pay them for their time. They take the test. If they, if they do well, we offer them a job and then they come on for a trial period where she mentors them. And before COVID, you know, she was actually going to an office and sitting with people in the city that she worked in and training people personally. But then because of COVID, uh, we realized, you know, we, we tweaked and, and sort of modified the way we do it. And now she's able to do everything virtual. And we have this, we have a whole training process in place and we just updated as needed, but essentially like you start small, you do it with one person or two people, and then you see if it works, you tweak it until it does. And then you just keep duplicating. And um, I think it's always in the people, man. It's like, I've, I've worked with assistants that can feel very chaotic and scattered and that can affect the way that you are and it can affect the whole business. But if, as long as you're paying attention to them and asking them how they're doing and making sure they have what they need, but like finding what they like to do and, and letting them do it. Like I, I'm never good at doing things that I'm not really interested in. Right. And like, I'm not a data oriented person. So like, I'm not great at analyzing this stuff, but I'm glad to find people who are like, I'm really good at creating things and motive, like, you know, motivational things or whatever, writing, uh, being weird. I don't know. But, um, I also have a co-founder who's really good at, uh, I get to be sort of the face and like promotion and like things like that, but he's really good at tracking employee costs and like giving raises and doing the stuff like that with time. The operations. Like, yeah. Like the operations side of it. And so I think it, there's a lot of downsides to having co-founders and decisions, but if you get over your ego and you actually realize like you, you find somebody who's kind of different than you and you sort of let each other be in the element of doing what you're good at, and even if you disagree, being like, okay, I'm going to trust you on this. You know, we've been running stuff together since 2015. I mean, he taught me how to, to do e-commerce a little bit back in 2014 to start when I was running the Artsy Now podcast. And I never would have thought, you know, almost eight years later that I would have a business with him and we would be doing this well. So you never know what you'll run into just by like talking to people in random places and what it can lead to. Like, that's the beauty of podcasting is like, you can start one little thing that could be you in a Walmart staring at a Lego blanket and flipping it on eBay. And it can turn into you traveling the world and working in all these amazing locations and having a big team of people who are allowed to work from wherever they want to. And it's kind of crazy. It's like you sort of step into the void of the dream world or something. And it can happen really quick as long as you keep taking action. 
where do you find the employees? Because that is one of the things that I've always been kind of like interested in with you is no matter how niche the project is, no matter how, not to say small, but like scaled down it is or whatever it is, even if it's not like your main business, like your main big thing, you always have people helping you run that thing. And I feel like most people, myself included, that might be listening are kind of like, trying to do everything themselves. And I think that's something that you're really good at is like, you're almost always like, no, like I'm going to bring people on to help me do this. So where do you find people? And then like, yeah, like just kind of what's your process of finding people and then bringing them on? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I have, we only have so much energy, right? And I'm Mm -hmm. I'm actually really introverted and I feel a lot of things and I'm sensitive. So I do get stuck in that trap of wanting to do things myself sometimes, but I can't, like, I just can't, I have to get help. I know once you, once you do it one time and you have a V and you see like, oh, you can double out, you just really can't go back again. It just doesn't make sense. So, um, at first I started on sites like Upwork or, uh, is that what it's called now? Or was it called something yeah. else before that? It used to be called Odesk and then now it's Upwork. Odesk. Yeah. Yeah. Sites like that or online jobs at PH and Indonesia, Philippine. Like I love working with people in Indonesia and the Philippines because they're like, unbelievably competent, like way beyond me. Like I talk, they're smarter than me. And I'm like, I need people that are smarter than me. And I like having people around different places of the world because when we're offering things and like when we're sleeping in the United States, they can be working, compiling information out there. It's like really, we don't have an option as far as like putting the information together other than to work with um, people in, in Indonesia or Asia. And so I started just by doing Upwork and putting out one tip is like, you're going to get a lot of responses to your applications, but being very direct with what you want and then putting somewhere in the middle, like type fluffy purple elephant into the subject, if you're reading this or whatever, and then very quickly, you can narrow that down to like the five or 10 people who actually read your, um, your description and and understood it. And then I do video interviews with all of them. And I just intuitively feel out who I think is the person I want to work with. And I talk to them about what they'll be doing and the training and like what, I'm always looking for people who really want to work long-term and aren't mm-hmm. just like trying. And of course, some will lie to you and tell you that they do or whatever, but I'm like, I, I think you can feel it out if you, if you lean your gut into it. Um, of course it hasn't always worked out that way, but you know, you can't win them all. And then at some point you have to start, like I said, trusting into your employees to do that for you. Cause like, I was like, I don't really want to be hiring people anymore who on our team could be good at that. Who's like loyal with us. And, and, you know, we have a great relationship in the team with, and so then it just became that, like, what are the parameters of the type of person we're looking for? And that just became like, Hey, do you like these people that you're hiring? Like if they're, if you're good with working in them, then we're good with working with them, you know? And so trusting that your employee, I don't care if it's a sister or a cousin or like somebody they met on the street. Um, I actually just started having her go out and find people in her local community that she knew that were looking for work because there's a lot of people around the world that have no access to work and to get an opportunity Mm -hmm. digitally to do it is amazing. And because a lot of times we actually will buy a computer and send it out there for them to work. Um, because if they don't have access to it, you know, when they need to have a reliable computer, we've been able to really build a nice community of people that are working with us and they're all sort of related and like in some sort of way to each other, not by blood per se, but like, there's a network and there's like a good feeling of family within the team. And I found that to work really, really well. Um, So there's really no, 
I don't think there's really right or wrong way to do it. It's just, that's been my experience of how we've been able to grow the team. And she goes through hiring processes all the time now. And she fills out the ones that she thinks she likes to work with and the ones that aren't really trying or not asking questions and are just there to get a couple of paychecks and leave. And then we just, you know, we move through it and, um, it's wild, dude. It's wild to think that we have this many people on our team, honestly. So you started this just before Bulgaria. So like right before 2019 or like, let's say the start of 2019. Now we're 2021, two years ish later, since you started this business, what do you mind sharing? Like, what are your revenue figures? Because I think this is an incredible, like, this is kind of like what people love to hear in terms of like, just how quickly life can change, you know, if you do things right. So do you mind sharing just like some of the numbers? They don't have to be specific, but, you know, just so people can get an idea. Yeah. So we currently have about 220 people paying $185 a month. So that's $40,000 per month reoccurring. Wow. And our profit margin, because we don't have physical product overhead, is actually very, and we're working with people in Indonesia and South uh, Asia, where like the rate, to live and to have like a nice living is so much lower than paying someone in the United States. And it works out well, cause we can pay them more than what they would be making anywhere out there, but we can pay less than what we would need to live out mm-hmm. here. Um, so it gives us a bigger margin, but you know, 40,000 a month reoccurring in about 70% profit margin on that. And, you know, Jason and I take draws after that 70%. So it's like, you can, I, I can personally bring in 10 or $12,000 a month just from managing this business, like letting it flow the way that it's doing. But my goal is to keep scaling it and bringing more people on and building it out and then maybe eventually sell it, you know, like sell it to an yeah. agency or something and see if I can get a little bit of cushion because I'm still paying down debt for my other business and I don't have that much left, but it's enough. And I can't wait to get to the point where like I don't have that debt and I'm able to bring in cash flow enough to be able to really build something that I, that I love and believe in wholeheartedly. So we started with the first person who paid us $75 a month. And now we're up to 220 people paying 185 and we're getting ready to launch another beta list. And so that'll go up, you know, each list that we add goes up about $7,800 in revenue. And yeah, it's been, Mm. it's been really quick how it's, it's progressed. Um, I always am so surprised. Honestly, I always have this doubt, like, I'm never like, I still have this abundance block somehow. Like I'm not good enough to make this or, but like, it's a constant reiterating of, you know what? Fuck it. I am good enough. Like I am worth this. We are, we do deserve this. We've been working our ass off. And if you sit in the mindset of like, I'm not good enough or no one really wants to pay for this. Like you're always going to create space between you and money. And that's been a really strong, hard challenge for me. Um, but I think I'm finally starting to understand how that works and, and to allow myself to sort of melt into it and accept it and receive, you know, and that feels good. You know, one of the things that I've always like admired about you is that I feel like you are one of the people, one of a few people that I know in my life that I would say have a little bit of like a Midas touch, like whatever it is that you do, you kind of hit it out of the ballpark, right? Like whether it's this business, the one that we've been talking about, whether it's the original Amazon resale business, the affirmation decks, the books, right? The, the podcast before that, you always seem to be able to 
make it successful, get it to a point where it does what it was supposed to do, uh, at least for that stage of your life. And there's a few other people that I can think of uh, in my life that have done uh, like similarly. And whenever I have those people on the podcast, I always want to find out like, why? What is it that the rest of us are missing? Or like, what do you think is the secret sauce, quote unquote, that it, that allows you to do that? Like, what do you do differently that you think other people aren't doing? I work on my mental health a lot, but it's not, it's not meant, it's not necessarily true that everything I touch works. Like I had 17 jobs and three failed businesses before I got one to make a dollar that could allow me to move towards the direction that I'm in. And I was an alcoholic for eight years, struggling with not being able to do this. I think all of that experience, it gives me enough motivation or like jet fuel to be able to work through any difficult thing that appears in front of me that would normally stop someone else. I just am really fucking good at being like, this is resistance. It's not a part of me. It's something that is trying to stop me from being creative because you know the opposite of creativity is resistance. It's fear. It's this thing that's trying to stop you from moving through. I cannot identify with this or it's going to consume me. So fuck it. I'm going to move through this and do whatever I can to make sure it works. And it's, it can be very metaphysical. Sometimes it can be a lot of meditating and, and affirming and humming and chanting or whatever. And that calms me down. And maybe that works for me and it doesn't work for other people. It can be very action oriented or like crazy maniac work streaking oriented sometimes where like the last couple of months, I've been up every day, busting my ass to try to launch things. And it's not my favorite thing to do, but sometimes you have to do it. And it all really comes down to just having a core value vision of who you are and what you want in your life, and then setting goals in alignment with that, and then taking daily actions in alignment with those goals. And like, if I know where I'm going, and I know what two actions I can take today to go in that direction, what are the two hard things that I want to resist? And I want to go sit on the beach and, and relax and do, but if I do, you know, keep resisting it, I'm never going to get to where I want to become. I'm really fucking good at, at, at doing that, man. I'm really good at taking the action and getting over the idea that I can't or that it's too hard. Um, and it's, it, I think in general, it could be considered breaking a habit of hesitation. Like we all hesitate too much. We're sort of taught mm. to hesitate. If you think since the time we're born, we're taught to hesitate. And can we delayer? Can we unlearn everything that we know? Can we rip these, these, conformity standards off of our mental health and our physical bodies that religion and society and our parents and politics and education teach us to be like, can we rip all that away and find out who we truly are and what truly excites us? And I think at the core of a lot of us, man, it's, it's nomad. It's like explore, be nomadic. At some point they were like, stop traveling because it's going to teach you too much or stop exploring things because you'll learn too much. And like, just be this thing that sits and watches this television. And it's fucking crazy. Like, so I'm really good at not doing that because I know what it's like to do it. You know, I know what it's like to be in that realm, to have the house with all the things that you think you need. And I had five fish tanks and five TVs and all this shit, like you were talking about earlier that I had to pay and use my time to take care mm -hmm. of. Right. And then I'm like, every day I'm like cleaning fish tanks and shit. And like people can get stuck in that their entire life. And I could have easily been one of those people. You think you have to do this thing that you have to go take care of this fish tank or you have to go and, you know, get new sheets because your dog shit on them or you have to. And like those little 
moments of you driving to the store to do that thing, or you taking the time to go get more fish food or whatever, like they might bring you a little joy in the moment, but that time is, is what you could be doing, you know, blasting around the world or checking out Bulgaria or sitting in Puerto Vallarta or creating a business or exploring an idea. So I'm just good at that. And, and I think I'm good at it because I, I want it more than anything else. And I know that if I don't have it, I probably would be dead. You know, I went through a lot of really tough mental times and uh, I really truly am grateful and value my ability to do this because, you know, I almost died. I literally woke up face down on my garage with a nosebleed and my car running in the front yard and my pants down, like, and those, those types of situations of blackout nature that I used to roll through, like, I remember them and, and I don't ever want to go back there. So I'm going to make sure I can do anything that I can to not, to not go back there. I also, you know, to like, I, I think from, you know, I've known you for quite a few years now. And one of the things that I see from you is like, you swing the bat, right? And that it, you mentioned like, you know, hesitation is the thing that holds a lot of people back. And I think like one of the things that I think, you know, people listening to this, uh, I think can take away from this based on like what I've seen in, in terms of how you do things is like, when you want to do something, you do it and you swing the bat, right? Like for me personally, like I remember talking to you when you were still in that, in that place where you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to have to like declare bankruptcy, how I'm going to pay off all this debt. And I just remember thinking like, you were handling this way better than I would handle it because I would be like (laughs) freaking out. Like I wouldn't be able to do anything. And like, I, how do you find the ability to, is it just the meditation? Is it the ayahuasca things that maybe more of us should like consider to be able to like separate yourself from like, like I'm almost too connected, right? Like if I have financial struggle, I'm like, fuck, I can't do anything. Right. How are you able to separate yourself from that and still stay creative? Uh, It's a, it is meditation in a way it's like, this idea of, of it's so backwards to think about, man, but like we try so hard to figure things out and truly, truly the answer is to stop trying to figure things out. When you release this like weird urge to have expectation and results, it's kind of amazing how the world just sort of like puts things into place for you. And it's impossible I mean, I've found like, it's been very impossible for me to ignore all the time, but like the more, the better I get at letting go of things and surrendering to situations and not reacting, the more things just seem to work out for me. So for me, it's nature. I mean, I think we're all connected to nature. I think our ancestors were out raging around nature, absorbing nutrients to the bottom of their feet, you know, swimming in waters and sitting around fires, staring at each other, others in the eye and saying like, I love you and being grateful for the cup of water that they drink and playing instruments and being artsy and creative and, and, you know, climbing up trees in the middle of rainstorms or whatever. Like, as I navigate that inner child of myself, I find that like, does any of this really fucking matter? Like, why not just play with it? Worst case scenario for me, you know, I end up living in like my parents' yard or something and I'm eating, I'm still eating, right? I'm still surviving. I still have the knowledge I have in my head to be able to create things and to read books and to share or, you know, I listen to Alan Watts a lot. I listen to Terrence McKenna a lot. I don't necessarily think everyone needs to go do ayahuasca. I think ayahuasca will present herself to you if, if she wants you to come meet her. But that's a slippery slope too, because like if you do that in the wrong set and setting and you're not with the right people, it can really fuck you up for a long time. Um, 
I'm very careful with the things that I navigate, but I'm always following my intuition. So the more I, the, the better I get it, not getting stuck in between the head and the heart argument that goes on within our body, because they're always just kind of in quarrel with each other. Like you want to love something and you want to experience it and surrender to it. But your head's like, no, we need to be logical about this. We need to be like, the more I understand that there's a gut there as well. And the gut's like, if you two would mm. just shut the fuck up, you know, I'll show you where the treasure map is. My gut is always like, I kind of want to go to this country. I kind of want to go talk to this person and see what their story is. I kind of want to do nothing today, but sit here and draw pictures of my chest, and my nipple piercings on this piece of paper. Like, I don't know what your back is, but like, you never know what your day looks like. But if, if you lean into that surrendering of like, what feels good, and it's so fucking hard to do. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's so hard to do. I always get stuck in ruts, just like you're talking about, but I, it's like a constant work of progress through that. Like, do I remember where I'm going? Can I meditate? Can I do breath work today? Can I write down the two things I'm going to do in alignment with my vision and take risks? It's like, you are your own lottery ticket. If you invest in yourself and you take some risks, you can create this extravagant life that you never thought was possible. I'm living proof of it. And, um, I do take fucking crazy risks too, Mikko. I, I, I mean, putting $100,000 on a credit card is fucking nuts. Like, no, most people are not going to do that. That's crazy. Don't do it. I Don't do it. I've learned my lesson. But if I had not done that, I wouldn't be where I am either. So like, if you feel a gut shot about taking a risk, I encourage you to do it. See what happens. And, and usually you're likely to do whatever you can to make sure it works because you took that risk. And if you don't, you're going to be screwed. And you know nobody wants that. So, I think there's also something about like, you know, you've heard that thing about like, it takes 10,000 hours to like become a master or whatever thing. And I, the more people that I talk to that are at like a higher level, the more when you ask them, you know, like, why did you decide to do this versus this? They do tend to throw out the gut answer. And I think that there is something about maybe mastery takes 10,000 hours, but I think there is a level at which you train your gut to become more intelligent than like your like brain can be in some ways, right? Like there is something about the gut and there's, there's people who can be like, I don't know why, but this feels right. And there's so many different nuances, so many different things that we're taking in more than just like our eyes that like the more experience that you gather, the more I think you should trust your gut. Like, I think if you're just getting started, listen to other people's expertise, listen to what they have to say and, you know, kind of maybe trust that more than like what you would do. Cause I know like I've been an idiot when I was younger and like, had I just listened to people <laughs> smarter and more experienced than me, things would have gone differently. But the more that you learn and the more experience that you gather, I think that you need to start trusting your gut. Uh, like you said, you know, like if, if your gut saying something then like maybe you should listen to it, especially with how much expertise and like experience you have. Um, but listen, man, uh, this has been super fun. I do want to talk a little bit about the new deck that you're launching uh, because I always love seeing everything that you do. Uh, it's always fun to play around with those things. So tell people about the Kickstarter. Where can people check out this project and what is the project? Yeah, man, I, I think in this world where we have constant distractions thrown at us to knock us off of our focus in just a couple seconds. The way that I got into making these decks of cards was because I wanted to create things that helped remind you of your magic in just a couple seconds. 
and like remind you of the path that you're on and that everything's going to be okay. And to listen to your gut and all these things that we were just talking about, like financials are cool, but we can work through them. And it's really a lot of the lessons that I've gone through, uh, you know, put down into a micro message that, that can really help transition your energy an entire day. If you, if you pay attention. So we are launching us. I made an affirmation deck a couple of years ago that did really well. I really didn't market it that much. I know it did well because it was started selling without me marketing it. And it was all word of mouth. And we ended up selling, I think we've got about 6,500 decks out in the world now, which is kind of crazy because as a person who has a dream of being a writer, if you go to a publisher and they bring somebody on to do like a home run for them, generally they're aiming for selling 10,000 copies of a book. That's a home run for a publisher to pick someone up. The average thing sells about a hundred copies. And you know, that hundred copies is kind of escalated based on the people who sell so many books. Right. So to be able to say that we've got that many decks floating around is really cool for me. And it gave me a lot of inspiration. And in 2020, uh, I just saw a need more than ever to, to help with, with more restructuring of mental health. I mean, the world got real heavy real quick. And so I took, you know, a lot of LSD and I laid in the bathtub for seven days and I rolled around a lot on the beach in Oregon and, I wrote a whole nother deck and then we put it into my team and did the whole creative process. And now a year later, we're finally getting it launched on Kickstarter. And so, yeah, they're just like, it's, it's a deck of cards. It has an affirmation on the front and then sort of an Oracle of motivation on the back, but there's a profanity, there's humor. It's a very simple way to be fun and direct, but also think really deeply at the same time. And, and it's a lot of interacting with these, these struggles that we have mentally in our everyday lives, like imposter syndrome or abundance mindset or, motivation or overcoming resistance. And it's a really cool passion project. So uh, yeah, ragecreate.com slash Kickstarter. It's live when this airs, I believe. We've got a couple early bird tiers on there that are discounted. And I just encourage anyone who is interested to get a two pack uh, and share one with somebody because that's the beauty. I think that's the beauty of it at least because that's how it went viral. I mean, it's not necessarily viral. That's how it's spread to the level that it is based on people just sharing it with their mouths because um, they were sharing it with other people essentially. So it's a cool project and yeah, you can check it out. I think it's actually, you said it's going live on the Wednesday. So this episode's going out on Tuesday. So you guys, if you're listening, uh, I think it's going to be live tomorrow, right? Or am I wrong about that? Yeah. July 14th, whenever, whenever that is. Gotcha. And if your marketing does not say I rolled around in a bathtub on LSD for seven days to come up with this, it definitely should because that is, that is fire. <laughs> I did. <laughs> it, was a, it was a weird seven days. I turned my phone off the entire time. I found that phone blocking is one of the most effective things for being productive, obviously. <laughs> so hard to do though. I turned my phone off for seven days and I just, yeah, it was interesting. Well, man, this has been a ton of fun as I expected it to be. Uh, I'm going to be sending over to you some Puerto Vallarta recommendations, but uh, in the meantime, dude, thank you so much for uh, coming on, man. It's always a, it's always a pleasure to chat. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Much love, dude.